Charmed. Welcome back to Let Me Ruin Your Life. It's Serena Shahidi. How's everybody doing? I am coming to you from our year. God's year. Us and God. We're sharing it. 2022. How was everyone's new year? Mine was very boring because I had a sore throat and I was going to go to Harry Hill. He was having a few friends over. Uh, so I was going to spend New York, New Year's, New Year's Eve uh, at his place. But I had a sore throat that day and I was convinced. I was absolutely convinced. But it's great to be back for another year of podcasting and posting and, you know, of course, most importantly, real life shenanigans, but also reporting on those real life shenanigans on the Internet, my home. I'm feeling fabulous right now. I'm here in a in a Betsy Johnson dress, actually, that I found at Goodwill. You know what's funny? I don't know if you guys are familiar with Clara, a.k.a. Tiny Jewish Girl on TikTok and Instagram, but she just... You've probably seen her because she has, like, just this incredible eccentric style, even if you're not on TikTok or something. I'm sure you've seen her somewhere, and I was, like, on a call with her. It was, like, a big call uh, for, like, I don't like, YouTube shorts, whatever. I was on a big call with her, and I, like, texted her during it. Like, we spoke a bit. And then later on that day, I went to Goodwill, and I truly think that she was my good luck charm because I found this gorgeous, according to her 90s Betsy Johnson dress that's like lace black and magenta and this big skirt and I mean I'm just wearing it at home. I don't even think I have plans tonight. Do I? Oh my god, it's Friday. Did I not make plans? Oof. Okay. Note to self. Text. Maybe text a few suitors (laughs) after I record this. Figure out who I can you know, drink champagne with tonight. Um, What was I saying? Yes, I'm wearing that. I'm wearing costume jewelry, got the red nails on, have a Celsius energy drink by my side. I'm so in my element right now. So I wanted to make um, an episode kind of, you know, introducing the new year, bringing in the new, new, new year and doing some sort of trend reporting, from my perspective, just elaborating on the ins and outs list for 2022, the list that I posted on Twitter. If you guys have seen that trend that was going around, I decided what my, what was in and out, in my opinion, from the correct perspective for this year. And I just wanted to break all of them down today And really just get into what this year is all about. Let's forecast. Let's forecast, but let's also make some executive decisions. Let's not have the market decide. We decide. As women. As women. And gays. Um, Yeah, but first, I hate to say it. Hopefully this is the first and last time. But I, I have to talk about the Sex and the City reboot. I really have to talk about it. It is just burning a hole inside of my brain. And I have to, I don't know, I have to talk about it. Someone pointed out that I said I would never watch it. I think I said that on here, like unequivocally, I am not watching that shit. And then I made a TikTok about watching it. But okay, I started watching it one night at Tessa's apartment. We were bored. We were looking through HBO. I was like, let's give it a chance. Maybe it's a hate watch. Maybe it's a 
less hate watch. It turned out to be something in the middle. Maybe something in the middle. More like the extreme, both sides. I have so many, so, so many feelings. Um, I mean, I didn't want to watch it originally because most of the time I avoid watching remakes and stuff like that because it's typically just... What happens is that it's the announcement that it's being redone that's exciting, and then the show itself just pales in comparison. Uh, the show is always, like, terribly boring. The only plot points are ones that completely ruin the original series, which is what happened, to be fair, with the Sex and the City movies. I mean, hello. I don't know about the first one. I remember it being kind of good. But the second one... The second one where they go to Dubai is just a culturally insensitive fever dream. I remember watching it one day. I just clicked on it and I was like, have I seen this before? I don't remember. And then a few minutes in, I was like, I unmistakably have never seen this because I would have remembered for the rest of my life. Not only have I not seen it, but I have never felt the emotions I'm feeling right now. Like I... I, I didn't even know that I was capable of witnessing something like that. And the reboot, and just like that, is similar in the sense that I do, I think it is successful in a certain way as a reboot compared to other shows that do fall flat in comparison to just the idea of them being a remake and the idea is much more exciting and successful than the show itself. But and just like that, I mean, it's a lot of things, but it definitely isn't boring. So I wanted to break down. Let's just break down the first episode. okay? I wanted to talk about like several episodes, but then I started writing down bullet points and I was like, okay, I can't that I would have to write a book. A, a book. <laughs> I would have to write a book about it, which I may do one day. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first episode of And Just Like That, skip to this time. 28 minutes and 30 seconds. Okay. Are we here, girls? Are we here? <sighs> okay. The first episode of And Just Like That. One of the first things that it does is address the elephant in the room, which is that Samantha isn't there. They could not get Kim Cattrall. She did not want to be around Sarah Jessica Parker. Good for her, but obviously she was, you know, the best character. Like, I feel like the reason the show succeeded and had a reputation as something that was so forward and so... I don't know, a turning point for single upper-class white women who really needed help. So the way they address this is Carrie essentially says, like, she just moved to London and ghosted us. Like, that's it. The show often shows their last text exchanges, which is just very much Carrie being like, miss you, Happy holidays. I don't know. You know what, like, your exes send you that you don't reply to, and it's just this one-sided conversation? There are a lot of shots that are just Carrie with glasses on, looking down solemnly uh, in disappointment that Samantha hasn't reached out to her. To be fair, there was no correct way to uh, address the fact that Samantha wasn't there, because, like, I mean, the ultimate failure of the show, not that the show is a failure, it's, 
I don't know. It's it's many, many, many things. But the ultimate failure is that Samantha was the most important character, maybe not in the show or the script, but definitely in terms of cultural impact. I mean, we've all we've all watched the original series and we were like, I'm her. And of course, we were never her. We're probably all closer to Carrie in that we're overly self-involved, bad with money, and constantly dating a banker who doesn't like us. That's not true. I'm all that, but I'm always dating a banker that likes me. (laughs) Now that's an improvement. Carrie couldn't say the same. I guess it is kind of the most realistic thing that would happen in that friendship that Samantha would just one day like pick up and leave and never speak to them again. Because the relationship between her and the rest of the girls was very much like they were always dragging her down and she was lifting them up. She was the one inspiring them. You know, I've definitely I feel like we've all been that person, at least in a romantic relationship. And it's not as fun as they make it seem and like enemies to lovers, manic pixie dream girl rom-coms where you're the fun one who's like, cheer up, buttercup, you're wound too tight. Let's go on a road trip and steal a traffic light. And they're like, what? I have a deadline. And my mom doesn't like you. We've all had dynamics like that. And if you've ever gotten out of them, like once you're out, you're out. I've never returned to a man I had a dynamic like that with. But my friends are fun, so I can't say that much for them. You know, when you're in that situation, you're just ready to move to London, wherever, meet people who are on your level. Because in the original series, it definitely felt like the three other girls were total wet blankets. Always bitching about not having a boyfriend or not having a job. Miranda was always... There was always a plot line about, like, Miranda's not getting laid. And it's like, okay, who cares? Like, go outside if you want to meet a man that bad. The show takes place in New York City. You know, maybe you can't find a relationship, but if you can't find a man that's attracted to you, I don't know what to tell you. You know, they were always complaining about something, and Samantha was a fun one who was like, come on, you don't need any of that. Let's go to a... The hottest club in town in the meatpacking district where there are twinks dancing in cages and experimental cocktails that use truffle slices as garnishes. She was very that, so I can understand why a girl like Samantha, my girl, my girl, would be like, I'm done with these bitches. Miranda, I can't deal with your complaining anymore. You're a lawyer. You're a lawyer, you're not even making a good case for why your life sucks and you have to complain so much. I'm utterly inconvinced. Inconvinced? Oh my god, unconvinced. Is there something wrong with me? Am I having a stroke? Okay, I don't smell any burnt toast. We're good. (laughs) We're good. And you know, there's always that sort of give and take in friendships where sometimes you're the one... Who needs the other person to be like, come on, like, stop wallowing in self-pity. Put a lip on. Let me drag you out to the club. But sometimes your friend is that. And you're dragging her out to the club. It should balance out. And I feel like it never did with them in the original series. So they address that right up front. And we are introduced to Carrie's new gig. 
surprise, surprise, you know, it's hard to buy Chanel pumps with newspaper column money nowadays or in 2000, but whatever. She's on what Wikipedia describes, because I'm reading the episode summary on Wikipedia right now to jog my little memory. I'm such a busy girl. I can't even remember what happened in episode one of And Just Like That. She's on, (laughs) in Wikipedia's words, an LGBTQ-friendly, sex-oriented podcast hosted by Che Diaz, a non-binary stand-up comic. Whew. I mean... Sounds like a nightmare to listen to. And that's coming from me. I have a podcast where I am by myself in my bedroom. I chug a bang energy and take an Adderall and just talk shit about nothing for an hour. So if I think a podcast is unlistenable, I mean, (laughs) woof. Now, what really surprised and delighted me about this podcast plot is that the third host, because it's Carrie... Che Diaz and Bobby Lee. I forget what his character's name is, but he is played by Bobby Lee. And I was very surprised to see hardly anyone talk about this. I don't know if he is just less popular than I thought or just probably just less known by the demographic who would be watching and just like that. But I feel like I was the only girl in the room with my jaw on the absolute floor. My jaw, a victim of mild TMJ, was on the hardwood floor. Now, if you're familiar with Bobby Lee's work at all, you would know why this was like a jump scare to me, which I say with love, because he was just the last person I expected to see on the screen for that show. If you're unfamiliar... Uh, he is a comedian. I think he got his start on Mad TV before my time. I may be wrong about that, but he has a podcast with his girlfriend. He's friends with, like, Theo Vaughn. And he does comedy that's a little, I don't want to say edgy because of the connotation, but yeah, like, I guess I can't really think of anything else. Edgy comedy. (laughs) He's not afraid of cancel culture. He destroys feminist SJWs. Okay, he's not that, but he's, like, you know, also not exactly prancing around Manhattan listening to Natasha Bedingfield. you know what I mean? So he's on this podcast that genuinely sounds like the worst podcast ever. There is... I, if you haven't seen the show, it's going to sound like I'm making this up. It truly does. There's a button sound effect a la iCarly, they have, that goes, woke moment, or trigger warning. It's unbelievable. So the Che character, the stand-up comic, is annoying as hell. At one point, Bobby is like, there's a lot of guys who masturbate on the subway. And they're like, what did they say? Something along the lines of like, oh, is that who you want to use your male privilege to crush the gender binary and normalize like sex talk on podcasts by talking about that? And it's like, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's kind of the wokest thing to say of all. What is he supposed to say? That men aren't masturbating on the subway? That would be a lie. 
women be shopping and men be masturbating on the train. And that is the truth. And that is, in many ways, the wokest moment of all. So Miranda, so Miranda is studying for her like master's in human rights degree, slay. She has a moment with her professor who's a black woman where she's like, you're the professor? Sorry, it's just that you had different hair on the website. And then once she realizes her mistake, she just gets like very white savory for the rest of the episode to the professor character. It is a very strange plot point that is is very uncomfortable to watch. But I guess that is kind of the point, because that is how like middle aged white women. I don't know, are in many ways (laughs) a middle aged white woman who's getting her master's in human rights at Columbia. Yeah, that is pretty realistic, even though it is very transparent, like what they're trying to do with all these plots. You know, obviously, the original series famously, quote unquote, problematic. So to see white privilege being addressed in the first episode does feel a bit disingenuous. But you know what? It's just a woke moment. Woke moment. The whole plot with Miranda besides that is that she has an alcohol problem now. And maybe I missed something, but the plot involves a lot of speculation that the girls are doing about her quote-unquote alcohol problem and not a lot of Miranda actually drinking. Because the only scene I remember in this episode that proves it is when Charlotte goes to get something out of Miranda's backpack and there are a couple of Tito's nips. Is that what it's called? The little bottles, like the counter of the liquor store? In the front pocket. Which, I mean, is obviously not the best look, especially for a grown woman. If she was 20, it would be like... I was going to say it would be a lot more slay. No, I think it's still slay. I think it still slays. But how are we supposed to do that and think like, oh, she's doing vodka shots in the ladies room in between law classes? Like, we don't know. Maybe she's going to make cocktails in the park later. Maybe she's maybe she has a friend who's bringing the triple sec and the cranberry juice and the limes to make Cosmos Avi. Charlotte, you're making a lot of assumptions. Like, maybe a friend slipped it into her backpack as a silly little surprise. Oh, here's some fun little surprise vodka. I think, like, if it was a water bottle full of vodka, anything that disguises it, that would be a lot more convincing that something's actually happening. I don't think Miranda would be prancing around with a backpack full of vodka with the label still on and letting her friends go through said backpack if she was trying to hide it, which alcoholics very famously do. I mean, Charlotte is very judgmental about this, especially, I mean, if if that's alcoholism, then everyone in the original series was an alcoholic for every episode, which you could argue is true. But then, you know, why are we switching it up? Charlotte gets she like, oh my God, they're at brunch or something. Miranda's like, we should order champagne. Charlotte's like, girl, it's brunch. They go to a recital. Miranda's like, we should, I don't know, bring wine to the recital, to your kid's piano recital. And Charlotte is shocked. Girl, 
No one wants to go to your kids' recitals sober. Don't flatter yourself. What? That's crazy. Have you ever been to, like, the opera, the ballet, Broadway? Do you think anyone in those audiences is, is, is sober? Maybe I'm not, based on the way I just said that. I don't think I drank today, but who knows? Maybe Miranda slipped me some Tito's. Another reason... <laughs> Another reason this plot makes no sense to me is because Charlotte is going around town. She's so judgmental. She's going around town telling anyone and everyone that she thinks Miranda has a drinking problem. Not once in any of the episodes I've seen has she actually turned to her friend and been like, girl, are you an alcoholic? Like, obviously... I mean, this is a fictional show, but I also feel like this happens with, like, every woman I know above the age of 30. <laughs> like, does something happen when you turn 30 as a woman where you can no longer talk to your friends? Because I feel like I'm always hearing, like, I think my friend might be having troubles in her marriage and stuff like that. Like, what do you mean you think? How are they your friend if you can't be like, hello, confirmation? Is your man cheating on you? Don't you have her number? You think your friend of decades is an alcoholic? You can't shoot her a text? Girl, are you an alcoholic? Should we take you to AA? Why can't you talk to each other? You're supposed to be besties. You're with each other all the time. Anyway, we meet Miranda's son, Charlotte's daughters, who cares... One of the daughters, as I mentioned, Lily, has a piano recital. And in this famous, famous scene, even though it's like a month old, this notorious scene, it cuts between that, clips of the recital, and clips of Mr. Big, who Carrie is, for some reason, happily married to. Okay, I guess we're ignoring who his character is. On a Peloton the infamous Peloton scene, he does this like intense little workout, slay, 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 whatever, gets up, turns on the shower, and has a heart attack. And apparently this scene made Peloton sales go down, which is so silly to me because it's like Big was supposed to be, what, a 60-year-old like jet-setting finance guy Obviously, it was not the Peloton workout that gave him a heart attack. It was the decades of cocaine use. Can we all agree on that? I was talking about these types of men on another podcast. My friend is starting a podcast about nightlife, and we were talking about like this type of guy, like an older finance guy, and our admiration just for their physical resilience, because they will literally be old as hell, on the verge of death, and still do 17 shots and rail lines of cocaine every night and be up and at them three hours later for an early morning. It's absurd. So if a big type dies, especially of a heart attack, I can assure you that it was not overexertion on a Peloton. Like, come on, let's get real. And that's what always bothered me about his character in the original series. Aside from, like, him visibly disliking Carrie, which has been talked about to death. But if you're going to make his whole shtick, like, he's this older, 
you know, womanizing finance bro show don't tell because he's not giving that. He's not giving that for the most part. Where was the drug abuse, right? Where were the strip clubs? Where was his affair with his secretary? It wasn't giving that. It was not giving that. There is a reason why that fantasy doesn't translate well to real life, and it's because men like that are deeply mentally ill in a way that will never be addressed in their lifetime unless they go on like a spiritual ayahuasca trip with their Silicon Valley friends. And even then, they're not going to change anything. So, Big has a heart attack. He is slumped on the floor, slumped over on the floor outside of the shower, which is still on when Carrie comes home, which honestly made me more anxious than Big dying next to it. Because my mother growing up would always freak out about running water. She's obsessed with the earth. Obsessed with earth. So now if I'm like having a conversation with a friend and they're washing their hands or something and they just let the water run for no reason at all, uh, my blood pressure just goes through the roof. I almost slump down next to the sink and die. Oh, spoiler. Um, <laughs> so Carrie gets home. She sees Big slumped over. She's like, OMG. And just kind of holds him. This is the part that got everyone mad because he is visibly still alive. You see his arm move to embrace her, visibly alive, still kicking. But she does not call 911. She just kind, kind of wraps her arms around him. And, you know, this did make everyone mad. Why didn't she call 911? Personally, I don't particularly care that she let Big die. I've always been a feminist. You know what I mean? Like, when people were mad about Rose on Titanic, when she had that, what was it, a door or something, and she didn't let Jack onto it, she just kind of let him freeze to death or drown. To me, that was always a feminist move. To me, that slayed. I mean, I mean, in this year, Big famously left Carrie at the altar when they first planned to get married. Would you not let him die, too? I mean, I don't know. I feel like I may have done the same thing. Although I would probably turn the shower off instead of embracing him. Save the earth, but maybe don't save your terrible husband's life. You know? I could take it or leave it when it comes to him being alive. And so the last line of the episode, every episode ends with like, and just like that, a voiceover, and just like that, beep, boop, 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 which I love. I love a good running gag. But this one, this was my viewing experience. I was with Tess, and Carrie went, and just like that, and we were like, big died. And she goes, Big died, and we screamed at the top of our lungs. Just an absolutely crazy line. And just like that, Big died. And it was the most jarring thing ever, because I absolutely expected them to try to go in with, like, a tearjerker. I was, I was truly expecting a montage. A montage of them together. Not that they really do that now in television. That was more of, like, a 90s, 2000s 
tacky writing move, although I loved it. I love a good montage. But then you're expecting some tears. Carrie comes in with a punchline. Carrie, are you a non-binary stand-up comedian? And just like that, Big died. They couldn't have made it any less moving. And I loved that. <laughs> I loved that for them. Any slay. Okay, we're done talking about Sex and the City. Hopefully forever. But if I do talk about it again, just know it's not something I can help. I didn't even want to have to talk about it today, but something, oh, something was just tugging at me. I really couldn't help it. And hopefully I've gotten all of that out of my system and just know if I do the same thing in the future, it's not what I wanted, but it is what I was compelled to do. Moving on. So if you're on Twitter, you would know that it was a Twitter trend to do a list of your ins and outs of this coming year. Now, this year. And I did participate. I liked the trend. I wrote down everything I think should be, slash will be, slash is, in and out for our year 2022. So I want to expand on what I think should be. And maybe will be if everyone is smart enough in and out this year. So let's go through my list and elaborate a bit so everyone can be ready to kill this year like Carrie killed Big. In. We're going to do like in, out, in, out, in, out. Alternating is what they call it. In. Having somewhat of a mystique about you. This is... I mean, the first one, I believe that our newfound avoidance of mystery is a huge contributor to the death, the brutal murder, a la Carrie and Big, of charisma. No one is charming anymore except for me, which I could do an entire episode about. Maybe I will and have Marla back. Love her. The queen of charm. Need her to teach a charm school. I just think that social media has made it seem as if full disclosure of everything at all times is not even necessarily like the thing to do. It's just the norm, whether or not you do it. And I think that that is not true, no matter who you are or what you're doing. Even full transparency, honestly, in a romantic relationship, I've said this before, should not be happening. I think there are things that you shouldn't be sharing with someone until a certain point. There is no reason someone should know literally everything about you unless you've been married for 50 years. Have a little mystery. Have a little mystique. Mystique. Also flirting. Because you guys always ask me for tips on flirting. I am a Libra, so I'm a bit of an expert. But flirting is all about mystique. It's 80% mystique. It's not flirting to be like, I'm attracted to you. Do you want children in the future? How many? Right? Flirting is very like, okay, hmm. Hmm, I find you to be intriguing. Leave some mystery. Don't be too slutty with your personality. Out. Minimalism. I've been saying this forever. It's not a 2022 thing, but I had to add it because minimalism is terribly boring, mostly because it is 
inherently unoriginal. All minimalist things look alike, but all eclectic things are eclectic in their own ways. Okay, Tolstoy. All right, look at me. But it's the same concept. Like, you can only be perfect, which I think is what the aesthetic, like, aims to convey. You can only be perfect in one way. What is a perfect room? White, boring, clean. I don't want that. I don't want to be that girl. I want to be that girl. In libraries. Libraries are one of those things that are just nice. And you forget that they exist because so many things in the world are not nice. And, in fact, bad. But we do have libraries. Because, first of all, there are not enough places to just go. Right? Where you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to struggle to get a seat, make a reservation. You can just sit and read or work swipe on hinge whatever although we still need places like that that are 24 hours and i've always said that i'm tired of using 24-hour diners as my office i hesitated to say that because it's literally not true i love a 24-hour diner as my office it's fun also i don't know if this is just the library near me or maybe all libraries in the city but the bathrooms nice they're nice the one near me It's so much nicer than, like, a restaurant bathroom where half the time, like, your knees are touching the door. Oh, my God, I was at the bar room on 60th the other day. That bathroom, girl, you have to, like, scoot back on the toilet seat. You have to scooch because the stalls are that tiny. Libraries are it. Mark my words. Out! Discourse. Everything that can be said has been said. And I wish it wasn't. In stretching. This is, I mean, self-explanatory. Also partially just a reminder of myself. It's a must. We're not built to sit down all day. You got to stretch. You got to stretch in the morning, before bed, throughout the day, as much as you can. I start my day with a good, like, downward dog, a pigeon pose, a forward fold, child's pose, whatever else I'm feeling, Get into it. If you've never done a pigeon pose, get into it. Because stretching your hips is a must. I've read a lot of things from a lot of schizophrenic people on the internet that say that we store a lot of trauma in our hips. So, out. Book covers that look like that. And you know exactly what I mean. Do you guys know what I mean? (laughs) You should know exactly what I mean. There was an article about this phenomenon in print magazine. Uh, It was called Behold, the Book Blob. And it's this aesthetic that, like, has happened with books in the past couple years where the cover is just this abstract design of, like, blobs kind of, I don't know, intersecting, interacting with one another. It's normally, it's a lot of, like, blues, green, red. The most, like, recognizable one uh, in terms of this aesthetic is probably Detransition Baby, which is actually not the best example because it's probably the best and most original looking version. It has faces. It's not just blobs, but it very much falls within that aesthetic. And I don't understand it because it's like books are just this this precious thing. They take so much work, especially 
I mean, books are precious in general, but especially if you write it or you're publishing it, why go with a cover that's indistinguishable from everyone else's who has published a book at a big firm in the past few years? It's crazy to me. All that work in a book? Writing an entire book? It's criminal to me. In. Deli coffee. (laughs) I just believe that the Starbucks drinks with all the bells and whistles are very 2010s. I'm, you know, normally not a big utilitarian queen. Utilitarian queen. But I do have that mindset when it comes to coffee. I've never been a coffee taste girl. I have always thought of it as a drug, which it, you know, technically is caffeine. Hello. I believe in going back to utilitarian coffee with the caveat that I tragically do add cream and Splenda to mine. My apologies. I would drink black coffee if I could, but I can't because coffee is gross. I think you should just be able to grin and bear it, but that's about it. No more flavorings. I say I used to fully put like blueberry flavoring in my Dunkin' coffee, which is not bad. I wouldn't say it's good. I would say it's the and just like that of coffee flavors. Out. Delicate jewelry. Boring, boring, boring. Once again, boring. Plus it gets all tangled up. I am all about big ass clunky costume jewelry. That used to belong to someone's dead grandmother, as I've said many, many times. Although I will say, caveat, oh my god, I keep contradicting myself. Ugh, I need to work on my ideology. Caveat is that I do not like the big, colorful, like, chunky, kid core (laughs) acrylic rings that are trending right now. But I will get into that aesthetic later. In cow's milk. I'm sorry? But it's true. And to be fair, in my defense, I still do buy non-dairy milk for home to keep in my fridgy fridge because regular milk goes bad in like a few days. And I'm not going to run around town buying milk all the time like some kind of pervert. But when it comes to replacing the regular milk in your coffee order with oat milk, (laughs) we're throwing caution to the wind. Honestly. Life... (laughs) Life is so short. Life is so short. And we can't live in fear of a coffee shop running out of oat milk. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. I want to spend my one life drinking coffee with cow's milk in it. Sue me. Out. Infographics. This has been out for quite some time, but I've seen your Instagram stories, and I feel the need to remind everyone, because I'm still seeing such content, I don't want to see any more Instagram posts about how you can be an ally to the ADHD community. I do not want to see whatever you made up in Canva to express that point. I don't. And I am applying this to everyone who wants to spread a message on Instagram in any way. Stop it immediately. I don't want to see any more posts from that little boy who paints on his face like masculinity is bad with a rainbow. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that balloon guy in front of a wall that says don't text your ex. I'm sick and tired. 
I'm waking up in the middle of the night with night terrors, imagining being a party city employee when he comes in. I'm getting emotional right now. I... <laughs> Enough. Enough. I would rather, in terms of the Instagram experience, I would rather watch Khloe Kardashian promote diarrhea tea while she gets cheated on for the third time since breakfast because at least she knows her place, right? She knows what the platform is for. It is not for spreading any sort of message besides, like, I have low self-esteem. Call me an Instagram traditionalist. But that's what I believe. Out! The Bechdel test. Is that how you say it? The Bechdel test? I'm just gonna go with it. I don't wanna have to say blah 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 every time. I've definitely heard it pronounced out loud before, but I've read it, you know, many, many more times. It's one of those words. Everyone is too embarrassed <laughs> to reference in person. But I've had it with this. I've had it. I've had it. I've had it. I recently learned that this test, if you're not familiar, it's like, uh, I think this is very common knowledge, but in case it is like a test for if a movie is like feminist, like y'all slay whether or not there are two female characters like interacting and talking about something that isn't a man, whatever, whatever. I recently learned that this test is named after a girl who like drew a comic about it. She drew a comic about movies, essentially deciding on this test as the metric for whether she and her friends would be interested in watching a movie. And that's fabulous. Good for her. Good for that friend group. Let them have that test. But I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want to hear about it. I don't think there's something inherently wrong with women talking about men instead of Kamala Harris or sustainability or whatever you want us to talk about. It depends very much on what they're saying, doesn't it now? I feel like that is a much better test. Can you imagine working so hard and put, putting out a piece of work or even having a conversation. Someone's like, this doesn't pass the, the Bechdel test. Uh, excuse me? Are you joshing me? Oop. That was a man's name. I didn't mean to say that. I did not mean to say that. Let the record show. Are you joking me? Are you being silly with me right now? <laughs> For real? For realsies? I mean... I've had people say that about conversations I've had with friends about this podcast. And first of all, it's not true. My friends and I always pass the test because we mostly just talk about ourselves and things that people say on the internet that annoy us. But we can say whatever we want. It's our conversation. Excuse moi. In the elderly. I've been obsessed with the elderly lately. <laughs> I really have. And I think it's because... I can no longer, like, hang out with them because of COVID. Like, I don't want to get an old person sick. But I love elderly people and elderly friends, uh, you know, just antique people. I guess I'm just obsessed because I can't hang out with them. And, you know, maybe you always want what you can't have. But I do need to have an official collaboration with the account I've talked about before on here, Old Jewish Men. <laughs> I need to have Aaron Cohen on the pod soon. Let me make a note of that. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Out. Being sure about things. You know, this goes along with a death 
of discourse that I am thinking and praying, praying, praying every day, are you there, God, it's me, Glam Demon 2004, will happen. Because in a time when everyone has so much pressure to contain themselves within a certain line of thinking or ideology, everyone has to have a take about everything. Everyone has to share their opinion. I just think it is such an alpha move. Sigma, even. To be like, girl, I don't know. I don't care. I can give you a take, but I'll just be making some shit up. And I think this is why some, like, quote-unquote ideologies that are in many ways just, like, a lack of ideology or just some silly, silly fun have gotten popular recently. Like... The Red Scare girls, I've never listened to the podcast, so I don't know if that is exactly what I'm thinking of, but I feel like that's right. I feel like a lot of modern thought leaders are somewhat inconsistent in certain ways with their line of thinking or with you know, a certain ideology that we are familiar with. And I'm all about that. It's all about contradicting yourself It's all about making shit up. You know, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. In being delusional. I've been saying, and this is similar, you know, to the last thing. I just think delusion, it's a survival, survival mechanism. And I say that, and I know that as a chronic derealization queen, as my gay therapist would say. Well, he wouldn't say it, but I would say it. I feel like so many people with their meditation apps and their self-help books are struggling to live in reality and be okay with reality at the same time. And to that I say, stop trying. It's impossible. Reality sucks. Reality bites. Isn't that the Winona Ryder movie that made like selling out (laughs) a popular 90s fear? 80s? I don't know. You can't be aware of the current world we're living in and enjoy it at the same time. You got to live in your own head. That's what I do. I live in my own head. It rules me. And it's great because the thing about my brain is that I'm the only bitch in there. I'm the only bitch in there. Reality is not worth it. Out. SSRIs. I say this, I do say this as someone who is still on SSRIs. Technically, I'm on two antidepressants, one of which is an SSRI. But once I finally find a good psychiatrist, one who doesn't reject me and tell me to try ECT, which is quite rude, I hope to be on something different. Also, shout out to that psychiatrist who rejected me and still keeps sending me reminders that I have to pay my bill. Girl, What? Are you crazy? But my theory about SSRIs, as someone who has no real knowledge in this department, you know, scientifically, medically, but lots and lots and lots of experience, is that, I don't know, I think SSRIs are good for anxiety, but not necessarily for depression. Because I just think it's odd how SSRI side effects imitate the symptoms of depression so closely just the you know the numbing of feelings loss of interest loss of energy weight gain low sex drive and that's all good and fabulous if 
you're an anxious person who's like boom, 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 boom. But when you're depressed, it's almost like I'd rather actively want to stick my head in an oven than want to do nothing at all. You know, at least that's an activity. At least that's like, you know, a really iconic thing to do. That'll get me in the newspaper. That's better than just lying in bed and being like, ugh, you know, ugh, how boring, how useless. I keep reading Reddit threads about different antidepressants. Let me know your takes. Yell me on Instagram. Let's talk about meds, girl, because I have heard good things about, uh, is it called atypical antidepressants? They're the ones that like aren't prescribed as much like as often now because I think you have to change your diet around a bit. Like, there are certain things you can't eat on them. I don't know. You have to be, like, picky with your charcuterie boards or something like that. But maybe I'll try them if I get a psychiatrist who doesn't. Anyway. (laughs) In the Flintstones in Viva Rock, Vegas. Now, this is a movie, a film I saw recently that really touched me. It really did. It's made in 2000, starring... Stephen Baldwin, Jane Krakowski, Alan Cumming, and Joan Collins. Who, by the Joan Collins looks fabulous in this movie. So rich, old lady, chic, glamour, big ass hats, big ass jewelry, feathers. I mean, full, full face, brow bone highlight. You can't look directly into it without causing eye damage. And the plot is Fred Flintstone played by Stephen Baldwin, and his bestie are, like, being haunted by this little perverted alien played by Alan Cumming, who's like, I want to see how humans court each other. He's really very much a pervert. They don't really acknowledge it, but whatever. Wilma, Fred's future wife, is being convinced to marry a rock, a Rockefeller, such a good joke, by her mother, played by Joan Collins, they end up, all of them end up in Rock Vegas. There's, I mean, there's love. There's loss. Alan Cumming also plays a version of Mick Jagger. It's everything a girl could ever dream of. The stats are, it did have an $83 million budget and a 25% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, does that not sound like the perfect movie? I, of course, had to check the Rotten Tomatoes score. And I also want to say... I skimmed the reviews, and there was a very disrespectful super reviewer named Dan M. Dan with two N's, D-A-N-N. Stupid name. Silly, silly name. Not in the good way. Who calls the movie a steaming pile of dino crap and says the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas is an insult to Flintstones fans everywhere. I just wanted to say, Dan M., I give your name one star. And also, I was not a Flintstones fan before this movie, but now I am, and any real Flintstones fan would respect that and respect that the fandom is getting bigger because of films like this. (sighs) I mean, getting worked up. But in a, you know, an age of serious two-and-a-half-hour movies, sometimes you have to spend 90 minutes with the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, and I've always said that. I enjoyed it much more, by the way, than 
licorice pizza, which I saw recently. I was assuming it would be crazy because I saw so much controversy about it on social media because there was a relationship between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old, and I guess people thought it was a documentary. But it was... It was not giving. I thought it would because it was so controversial. But it was two hours and 13 minutes of just like a boomer childhood fantasy. And, you know, that is fine. (laughs) Come on, hour and a half. That's how long you get for a movie like that. You need a rom-com running time for that. Not mob movie. Rom-com. Speed it up. Out. Marvel movies. Now... I can't elaborate on this too, too much because Marvel movies are one of the many, many, many numerous things that I know nothing about but still vehemently despise. I don't even know if I could distinguish between like Marvel or DC or like children's cartoons, not that there's a difference, but we can do away with it all. And I think I'm not alone in that belief. I feel like I've been hearing that sentiment many a time recently, and I stand with those people. In short-lived, tumultuous relationships. I mean, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Pete Davidson is doing it right. He's doing it right. I've been thinking a lot about mortality recently. Just because I'm very indecisive as a Libra, second mention. And I've started thinking about decisions and things I want to do in my life. In terms of, does this align with the fact that I am going to die? Right? Not that I was going to, in this sense, live the kind of life where I'm always waiting for my soulmate, a la Charlotte from Sex and the City, not having any fun until then. Famously, I enjoy men. (laughs) I like dating. I like collecting stories. I don't mind a relationship that crashes and burns, especially if it does so quickly and efficiently. I think he's got it right. I want to look back on my life and be like, you know, damn, I was crazy. Rather than being like, I met my soulmate. Oh, who cares? I want to be in Daily Mail. Out. Self-improvement. This is a decision I came to very recently. And I think it's because, I think it's after Joan Didion's death. Because she was kind of the icon of this for me. Like the antithesis of self-help. Rest in peace, my kudos and respect, all the respect in the world for making it to 87 as a chain-smoking anorexic. I mean, good for you, girl. But she has one quote that I think about all the time, and I wrote it down, if you're unfamiliar. <clears throat> what I want to tell you today is not to move into that world when you're alone with yourself and your mantra and your fitness program or whatever it is that you may use to control the world by closing it out. I want to tell you to live in the mess. Throw yourself out into the convulsions of the world. I'm not telling you to make the world better because I don't believe progress is necessarily part of the package. I'm telling you to live in it. Try and get it. Take chances. Make your own work. Take pride in it. Seize the moment. And I feel like that is the mood for 2022, right? I'm so sick of the self-help books and the rise and grind, and the daily routine videos that start at 4 a.m. Meanwhile, I'm, like, going home on the subway with a feather boa around me. But I'm also sick of, like, the 
take care of yourself. You don't need to be productive. You don't need to do anything. Buy yourself a new candle for every time you've had to read a news headline. To both of those types of very annoying people, I say, c'est la vie. C'est la vie, bitches. I have tried both of those philosophies. They did not work. And I was terribly bored. At a certain point, you have to say, you know, I'm going to make good decisions. I'm going to try. But I am also going to make many, many, many bad decisions. And you have to realize, you know, if my life doesn't include a few nervous breakdowns and more than a few hot and sexy men, I don't want it. In wearing mini skirts all year long. When I say that this is in and I do this, I need you to believe me. I know I say things sometimes that I don't mean. I get silly, etc., etc. But it is 30 degrees in New York City. It was 15 earlier this week. Not once have I faltered. N- not once have I broken this promise to wear mini skirts all year long. And here's how I do it. Here's how I wear them in the winter. A few tips. First of all, I think I've been doing it for so long that I don't, I don't know if there's like feeling in my legs anymore. Like they're real tolerant to the cold at this point in a way that the rest of my body simply is not. Knee-high boots help a lot. A good pair of black leather boots is my winter essential. Number one, first priority. Thigh-high boots are cute, but they're too high maintenance. They slip down. It's weird to sit. You feel it. You know, when you sit down, it's like too tight in your knee cleave. It's, it feels strange. Thigh-high socks are much better than boots. On especially cold days, I'll wear fleece tights. The key is to get a nude pair of fleece tights. And on top, wear regular sheer black tights. No need for those ones that I keep getting Instagram ads for that you can like, I don't know, stab with a steak knife and they still won't rip. The $7 tights at CVS hold up pretty well. And then it looks like that's all you're wearing because the fleece under it is skin toned. That's that mini skirts all year round. All my life, baby. Out. Explaining. And that's that. In. Imitating the French. Parentheses. Only imitations. Double exclamation point. The French are out. Do you guys remember? I believe that this was a trendy book. How to be Parisian wherever you are. I was obsessed with that book in high school and I bought a copy recently In this used bookstore in Midtown where the first floor is like, I don't know, like anime, weird stuff, whatever nerds like. And the second floor is actual books. It's such a good book. It went along with like the time when like Alexa Chung's It was a must have. It was just that type of book that like I'm sure Orion Carlotto posted pictures of on Tumblr. And it was definitely you know, problematic. (laughs) There were definitely chapters on how to have an affair or how to like stay skinny by eating leek soup instead of real food. Oh my God. Speaking of books that teach you how to have an affair, I need to buy sex in the single girl from the sixties. And I need to recap it on the podcast. Let me write that down. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Yeah, it was problematic through the 2022 lens. I don't care obviously because that is normal for the French. There's no monogamy over there, which is honestly one of 
they're only good qualities. But I still think it is a fabulous book. I need to reread it and take some notes because we are going fake Parisian in 2022, baby. I'm going to be like the Eiffel Tower in Vegas. I think I've eaten there. Out. Faux fur. One of the best examples of lib logic, hashtag lib logic, hashtag destroying the libs, that I can imagine is being anti-real for, for anti-real fur, but pro faux fur. Even if the real fur is secondhand or upcycled. Because I hate that convo I always have with those goddamn vegans. Is that real fur? Yeah, it's vintage, it's thrifted, whatever, whatever. Oh, but still, still, still what? What do you mean still? Still? And no, there is no still. That's the end of conversation. It's secondhand. Walk away. What was I supposed to do with it? If not wear it. But the most lib thing ever is to think that way about real fur and not care about fake fur, which is famously made out of microplastics, which kill a lot more animals. They can't biodegrade like real fur. And it's not as warm, to be honest, or fabulous. I love my mink. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like third hand. My friend, I got it from my friend who got it from a thrift store. It is monogrammed with the initials of some bitch I don't even know. So if you have a problem with the fact that it's real fur... I think you're just jelly. In divorce. This ties into the, you know, short-lived tumultuous relationships thing, but its inclusion is also inspired by the podcast Trashy Divorces that I have been listening to just all the time. I've been really into gossip podcasts lately, weirdly, uh, mostly about old Hollywood, some new. Trashy Divorces is a great one. What a creep. Beyond the Blinds. Fluently Forward, which I'm going to be on Shoon soon because I DM'd the host, Shannon. That's why my mouth was making that noise. And I was like, I've been listening to your podcast about blind items. I noticed you haven't made an episode specific to old Hollywood blind items. Let's talk about Marlon Brando being a whore, whatever, whatever. So I'm so excited. I'm going to make her talk about that slut. Him and like Warren Beatty and like Jack Nicholson. But Trashy Divorces just talks about like a bunch of celebrity divorces and breaks down what happens, what happens on both sides. And I, uh, there's something so invigorating about hearing about divorce. Maybe it's because I do, you know, actually like divorce. Maybe it is my calling, which I think it very well may be. But also it sounds like such an inconvenience that maybe I'm just listening to it and being like, oh, thank God. Thank God I haven't gotten married yet. Maybe this year. Out. Hollywood satire. Don't Look Up is another example of a movie that I'm not going to watch and I know that I hate. If you're not familiar, it is a movie about that old ogre, Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, he is talented for an ogre. He finds out that a comet is going, something like that, meteor, is going to hit the Earth, and he's like, we have to act now, and everyone's like, we don't believe you, and Jennifer Lawrence is like, my hair is damaged. It's so, I mean, real subtle satire there, guy. Great job. What a thinker. 
<laughs> you really, if you get it, you get it. And I mean, the irony there is just so absurdly obvious. Celebrities lecturing real people about climate change. People who ride in private jets should not be like, here's a little movie that might be saying something about society and climate change and market it to people who are like, yeah, I keep buying plastic water bottles because the water coming out of my tap has hazardous waste in it. And my landlord told me that it just adds extra flavor. So thank you. Thanks for that, Leo. You can't satirize yourself without acknowledging that it's about yourself. Hollywood, be quiet. In derealization. I forgot that this was even on the list because I mentioned (laughs) derealization earlier. My anti-self-help journey. I've still been doing some things that I, you know, serve to remind me that I am living in the real world. Not to brag, but I will identify five things I can see, four I can touch, three I can hear, two I can smell, and one emotion I'm feeling. But sometimes it's just like the real world sucks. I'm fabulous. Why shouldn't I feel like a floating brain a good amount of the time? My brain is the best thing in this goddamn world. I've tried paying attention to my surroundings, and they simply did not live up to my standards. I didn't enjoy them at all. So I believe in having a good balance between the real world, you know, so I don't get hit by a car or something, and living in Serena land, which is like candy land, but instead of candy, it's cocktails. Out. Ryan Reynolds. I don't even have anything to say. I just, I hate this man. (laughs) No further questions. I don't have anything new to say. It's just that if I'm making a list of what's out or if I'm making a list of anything negative, really, he's going to be in it. In credit card debt. I am not actually in credit card debt myself, nor am I actively endorsing it, right? Your credit score is important. But it is one of those things that it's like, If you're already there, it's okay to acknowledge that it is a little bit chic, right? It's like being a smoker. Would I tell the world to start smoking? Absolutely not. But would I tell an individual outside of a party that they look hot and sexy with a cigarette? Well, maybe so. You know, it's kind of like body positivity, like being fat. Like, I, you know, you shouldn't recommend being fat. It comes with all sorts of issues, But you can be like, if you're already fat, work. Like slay. Not having heart disease slays, but so does being fat, you know? You win some, you lose some. Out. Vape-ing. I think I meant to say vaping. I feel like this is already a thing, vaping being out, because I've been seeing less people vaping and actually more smoking. Which I do, you know, endorse, because if you're going to do one of them, stick with the classic. Because we know that Joan Didion made it to 87 as a lifelong smoker. Has enough time passed since the invention of vaping that we know that you can vape your entire life and die with all your limbs and people who still love you? Sincerely doubt it. I do not believe so. In Handwritten Letters Granted, I say this and I don't think I have written a letter by hand that didn't include my phone number since elementary school, but I do stand by it. 
Because it's like getting someone flowers, which is something that I do, actually do in my adult life. It's just a classy, sexy move. It's a way to show your appreciation. I had a guy slip me a note. I was at Spring Lounge the other day. He slipped me a note that was very like, I think you're beautiful. Ignore this if you're taken. But otherwise, I'd love to take you out with like his number and Instagram. And I'm not going to go out with him because I didn't really get a good look at him. He kind of like handed me that and ran out. And his Instagram is private. His profile picture is a heavily filtered selfie where he looks like the guy who, like, the incel that shot all those sorority sisters in California and, like, vlogged about it. So, you know, I I don't think I'll take him up on that offer. But I was so impressed by his penmanship. His cursive was absolutely gorgeous. And I can see... I feel like this should be the case where handwriting should be something like, you know, your voice. That's not a huge deal, but maybe a make it or break it thing if we lived in the Seinfeld universe. So I think that we should all practice our penmanship and just, you know, every now and again, make sure it's still hot and sexy. Out. Avant basic, House of Sunny aesthetic. House of Sunny aesthetic is how I would describe what I'm thinking of had I not come across the phrase avant basic to describe this. Um, which is just, it's so perfect. First of all, the brand House of Sunny, I know it's not, it's probably not as bad as other brands in terms of like fast fashion, but it does represent to me like the epitome of terrifyingly fast trend cycles. Because you know that dress, you know the dress I'm thinking of, that goddamn knit tank Sage green dress with the blobs on it, like it's a 2020 novel. That dress was the item for like a week. Literally, for I've never seen something go out of style that quickly, for a week. By the time it was shipped to people, it had already been worn to death. And I feel like that, you know, their general aesthetic as a brand was very of the moment of maybe one month in 2020 and then it's I've had it the oh my god the patterns that like badly imitate 60s design the bright colors that make sure you can hardly rewear the pieces the all the green the swirls all the swirls the big chunky acrylic rings the interior design with those goddamn bent candles oh my god I can't. I can't. It, you know what it reminds me? It reminds me of the, like, 2015 Tumblr vapor wave craze. Like, that aesthetic. That it is, in some ways, cool stuff. It's a cool look, but it, what's not cool is that it's just something everyone co-ops for a very, very short period of time and then just immediately looks wildly dated. So I've had it with that. I don't want to see that aesthetic anymore. I don't want to hear about it. Get Olivia Rodrigo out of that aesthetic. That's child abuse. That is child abuse. She's been through enough. Okay, anyway, that is our last out. But we do have a few more ins. Look at me, so positive. I mean, it is what I'm known for. In. Lying and or deception. I'm noticing that a lot of these 
ins are just me being like having a terrible personality is in and you know what I'm right and maybe I should have just said that but I do I I think 2022 is kind of the year of being a horrible person but I've also come to the realization lately you know just personally that I am in many ways supposed to be doing awful things and making terrible decisions because I'm in my 20s Right, just hearing the way my older friends talk about their 20s made me think, like, why am I concerned at all with figuring out what's right morally or logically or in the eyes of the universe? This isn't the age to be right. I should be wrong. I should actively be wrong, which is difficult for me because I am a genius, but I'm going to embrace, you know, those sides of me who make bad decisions, sides of me that maybe lie, that tell strangers at bars that I'm a writer, not because I'm actually a writer, but because I, you know, hear Carrie Bradshaw introducing herself that way. And I'm like, okay, that's chic. That is chic. So this is my new philosophy. And I think it's going to work out well. I think I'm going to collect a lot of new life experiences. And you know what else is absolutely going to happen? I'm going to reach like my 30s and 40s and be like, I still have some leeway. I should still make some 22-year-old decisions. And you know what I say to my older self? I say, Yas Queen, you're right. In lip brushes. I remember reading in a Simon Dunan book, I think it was Wacky Chicks. I forget who said it, but I believe the quote was something along the lines of like, applying lipstick without a brush is like eating with no food on your plate. And never in my life had I felt the urge to use a lip brush or just think that it would be helpful in terms of lip product application. But it was such a convincing quote. It was such a moving quote that I went out and I bought a lip brush. And of course, I do famously use a lip stain because I am a frequent kisser. But when I'm out, And I feel like dramatically applying a traditional lipstick. There is nothing more dramatic than doing so with a lip brush. It's fabulous. It's like a cigarette holder. I don't exactly know the purpose, but the purpose is to be fabulous. And that is enough. Oh my God, story of my life. (laughs) The only purpose I need is to be fabulous. I'm like a cigarette holder. Last one. In party photography. I don't, okay, honestly don't remember if I wrote this because of the trends I was seeing with my own two eyes or because it was some sort of premonition, but it's clearly, party photography is clearly in for 2022 because the cobra snake is back and everywhere. And if you don't know who that is, I didn't until recently because at the peak of notoriety, I was in North Carolina reading Magic Treehouse books. I did learn via the podcast It Girl Theory, uh, where they talk about, oh my god, what's her name? Something Kennedy, god damn it. Anyway, Cobra Snake was slash is a party photographer. And from what I've heard, back in the day, you know, early to mid-2000s, New York, LA, he was that girl. Everyone wanted to be photographed by the Cobra Snake. And he had a website that people would, like, check After parties, there were a lot of sites like that, weirdly, back in the day that weren't exactly gossip sites or anything like that, but that related 
to celebrity in some sense in that very specific time period where there was kind of a, I don't know, a transition from someone being an it girl socialite to being like an influencer or a personality. And I feel like Cobra Snake was a big part of that transition. But I think party photography is in. I think obviously party journalism is in. Shout out to Brock Collier, who I have uh, an episode coming out with next. I'm so excited. You know, we got to remember the good times in case we all get wiped out by Carrie Bradshaw. That is all for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you're having a fabulous 2022 so far. As always, you can follow me, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, GlamDemon2004, or follow the podcast uh, Instagram. Hello. Let me ruin your life pod and DM for questions, requests, anything of the sort. Um, I have to go text a few suitors, make some plans for tonight. I need a drink. My lower back is killing me. Oh my God, I'm like Miranda. Uh-oh. Okay, anyway, I'm gonna go. Love you. Thanks for listening, babe. Okay, bye. All right, okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> bye.